Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Um, this morning, we're winding down our series about food and fellowship and opportunities that we have and will have. Uh, just because Thanksgiving is over doesn't mean all the feasts and fellowship are over. Uh, there still be lots of holiday parties and opportunities uh, to spend time with people around tables and share and show the love of Christ to them. Uh, and um, just so we're clear, uh, and I know you guys have heard me say this before, food and fellowship is throughout the Bible. This isn't just me wanting to talk about food, although I do love to talk about food. Uh, but this isn't just me. Um, it's throughout the Bible. And here's the thing. Um, do you want to know why it's throughout the Bible? Sure, Floyd, we want to know why it's throughout the Bible. Here's why it's throughout the Bible, because food and fellowship, uh, they're throughout the Bible as a picture of our time in eternity with God and with others. When Jesus wanted to give a picture of here's what the kingdom of heaven is like, and we're going to look through some of the verses where he said that, he gave a picture of people sitting around banquet tables and eating and feasting, and I have no idea where people got the idea that heaven is just going to be people sitting on clouds playing harps. And I was actually going to Google where that came from, but I didn't want to get a bunch of ads for Black Friday harps on sale because no one wants that. So I didn't look it up, but somewhere that, came, that became the, the thing, like sitting on clouds playing harps. That's not what the Bible depicts it as. The Bible depicts us as spending time in the presence of God around tables, doing community and life with one another, but lots of food. So I'm going to show you a couple of those passages. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 14 and Matthew chapter 22. So if you want to open a Bible and go to Luke chapter 14 and then the Matthew chapter 22, I'm going to put a lot of, the, well, all of the verses and a bunch of other verses on screen. But while you're turning to Luke chapter 14 and while you're turning to Matthew chapter 22, I wanted to give you some insight to where we're going for our Christmas series. So we have this ongoing series that we've been doing called um, These Are the People in Your Neighborhood. So next week, we're going to start These Are the People in Your Neighborhood, but the Christmas edition, where we look at people in the Bible, look at their lives, how we can apply some of the things that they learned to our lives, how we can uh, look at people in our communities and see how we can treat them the way that the Bible treats people. All of that stuff will start next week with the Christmas edition. But this week, we're going to look at more food and fellowship stuff in the Bible, starting with Luke chapter 14. And I'm going to start and put the verses up here on screen. In Luke chapter 14, one Sabbath, this is Jesus saying, one Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being watched. Now, Here's the thing that we got to notice. Jesus went to eat with and spend time with even the Pharisees who were more religious, didn't believe him, didn't trust him. He still went to eat with them. So even when you have people who you're not that crazy about, when you sit around the table, it's a lot easier to discuss your differences, right? It says he was being watched. And then it says when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. A parable, again, we've talked about that. It's a, a, an, an analogy or an example that Jesus would give and hold up so he could show them, here's this spiritual truth that you may not understand, may be hard to understand. So here's this analogy or this story that can better help you understand it. So while he was at the Pharisee's house, 
There were people that would rush to take like the seat at the head of the table or the beginning of the table, or if you've ever been to a wedding where there's lots of guests, you want to be at the table that, oh, we're going to start with table number one, right? You don't want to be table 22 because no food left and you're starving by the time it's over. So he looked at them and he told all the people rushing to be at the head of the table, he told them this parable. He said, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, don't take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you, he'll come and say to you, give this person your seat, then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes up, he'll say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. All those who humble themselves will be exalted. This was really for the Pharisees. It wasn't just about food. It was about, and again, he's always giving a picture of a spiritual truth, what life is like in the kingdom of heaven. And what he was telling them was, hey, don't be that person who tries to exalt yourself in God's eyes, right? Let God be the person who looks at you and exalts you. He told that to the guests, but he also told the parable to the host. He said, when you give a luncheon or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. And he's not saying that you can't invite them. He's saying, don't just invite the popular people, the well-known people. He says, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they can't repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So he's given this example, and he's saying that, hey, this, this, again, parable, a picture of what God does. When God set out to invite us to his table, he didn't just invite the rich people. He didn't just invite the, the famous people. He didn't just invite the popular people. He invited the crippled, the lame, the blind, the poor people. We talked about this over the last couple of weeks about inviting people to your table and not just shunning those who we don't like or we, we think won't you know, uh, fit in or they might spill stuff or they aren't dressed right, but being there and being a part of, of kind of making time to get to know and talk to everyone. Because this is what God did for us. God invites every single one of us to be a part of his kingdom so that we can be a part and sit at his table in the kingdom of heaven. So God invites us all to be a part of his family, even though we don't deserve it. Even though we're the people that previously rejected God, hate God, don't like God, he still invites us. He sent his son to die for us, even though we don't deserve it. Right? So I'm going to move on to Matthew because Matthew, in the book of Matthew, Jesus gives another example, but he paints a picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like. So in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus spoke to them again, different crowd, but again, speaking in parables, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a king, and in this parable, this king is God, who prepared a wedding banquet for his son, and this parable, his son is Jesus Christ. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Now, in context, he's speaking to Israel. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and all those people. And he says, hey, God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to you as a nation to say, hey, come be a part of my kingdom. And some of you refuse to come. But the same is true for us. God sends uh, people into our lives and and we're supposed to go out into other people's lives 
to tell them about the kingdom of God, to invite them to be a part of God's kingdom, right? This is the whole reason that Jesus came, to invite people to be a part of God's kingdom. He, he's, he's telling this, and he's giving this example about inviting people to the wedding banquet. And this is, Jesus says, this is the only reason I came, to invite you guys to be a part of God's kingdom. Uh, Stan Matthew, but in 1 Timothy it says this, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of who I am the worst. That's why Jesus came, to save sinners. Uh, in John chapter 12, it says this, just as Jesus speaking, I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Come into the world as a light so that the hopeless, the broken, the homeless, the people that no one cares about so that they have hope, they can receive healing, they can be brought into the light. They don't have to stay in that place of hurtingness and defeat. They can be brought into a place of light and receiving the love of God. And of course, one of the most popular verses in all humanity, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is why Jesus came, to invite us to be a part of God's kingdom. Going back to his parable, he says this. Back in Matthew chapter 22, uh, he talks about he sent his servants in his parable to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. They refused. Then he sent more servants, said, told those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fattened calf have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. And this may seem a little bit redundant, where over and over he's telling people, come to the banquet, come to this. This is why the church exists. Again, in context, he's talking about Israel, how God sent people over and over to Israel to tell them to come. Now God sends us as the church out into our communities, into our homes, into our families to invite people to come to the banquet because the body of Christ exists. We're here to show the love of Christ to people. You have heard me say this hopefully over and over, to show, share the love of Christ, show it with our actions, and then to invite others to receive the love of Christ. That's what we as the church are supposed to do. We're supposed to do it as, as a congregation. We're supposed to do it as individuals. We're supposed to tell people about Christ, tell them about his love. We're supposed to treat people with the love of Christ, show them his love, and then we're supposed to invite them to be recipients of his love. Then, back in this parable, he says this. He says, so he sent them out, tell them, my, my fattened calf has been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business, the rest seized the servants, mistreated them, and killed them. And the king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And although this would make a cool movie, this is what happened to Israel. Because they refused to come and be a part of God's kingdom and abide by his will. They fell into idolatry and all this stuff. So God stepped back and said, okay. I'm going to let these other nations come in, uh, and you will see what it's like to live in the world without God. And nations came in and destroyed them and burned their city to the ground. But it also kind of applies to us, because in parallel, if we go out and we're telling people about it, there are going to be people who pay no attention to us. When we go out and tell them about the love of Christ, there are going to be people who say, I'm too busy. I don't want to come to your Sunday congregations. I'm too busy. I don't want to come to your Bible study. I don't want to come to your choir festivals. I don't want to come to your Christmas things. I have so much other stuff going on. I'd rather be shopping. That's okay. Let them do it. 
But there are some people who are going to harass us, uh, some people who are going to uh, try to cancel us, some people who are going to name call. It's not very often, but there are some people who are going to be killed for sharing the gospel. There was a man, I forget his name, pastor in Arizona, who was shot in the head just for sharing the gospel. Not in some third world country, in Arizona. He's still in the hospital now, fighting for his life, and there are people around the nation praying for him. He wasn't, he wasn't uh, belittling other people for their faith. He wasn't making fun of other people for their faith. He wasn't uh, harassing other people who didn't believe. He was just out on the streets telling people about the love of Christ. And someone said, I don't want to hear that, and shot him in the head. This is what we have to deal with. This is the world we live in when we try to share about the love of Christ. But here, I want to show you this. Those two examples, the first one in Luke, and this one where uh, Jesus equates the kingdom of heaven in his parable to a wedding feast. Now, John, the apostle John, was there when Jesus said that. Many years later, God physically showed that to John. So don't turn there, but in the book of Revelation... In chapter 16, uh, here's what it says. It says, then I heard, this is John saying what he physically heard and saw. I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Now, here, here's one of the things we got to understand. He says, I've seen this, and the reason why it sounds like the roar of waters and loud peals of thunder is because this is the wedding supper of the Lamb, the Lamb being Jesus Christ. This is all of the saints, all of the people who have ever committed their life to Christ, now standing, getting ready to usher in eternity, celebrating Jesus together. And he says, let us rejoice and be glad, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. The bride of Christ is the church. Not in a way we think of marriage today, but in a way that um, um, many husbands love their spouses, spouses love their husbands. That kind of love is going to pale in comparison to the love that we're going to experience when we are together in eternity with Jesus. The way that you love your children or grandchildren, that's going to pale in comparison to the way that Christ is going to love us when we're in eternity. And he says, fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people because God does have rules, just like everybody else, right? People complain, God has too many rules. I don't want to obey all God's rules. I don't want to obey all these things that the Bible says, all this stuff. But God has rules. How many people had to obey rules at the Thanksgiving table, right? This past Thanksgiving, you know, don't lick your fingers, although it's finger licking good, right? Um, you know, use a napkin, not your sleeve. Um, you know, the five-second rule... Well, that applies universally, especially to Thanksgiving food. If it's a turkey leg and it's delicious, just eat around it. But everyone has all kinds of rules that you have to obey in their home, all kinds of rules. God has rules, too, that he expects for all of us to obey. And that's what it says, what it means that, that the righteous acts of God's holy people, because he expects if we're Christians that we're going to live up to his righteousness 
We can't do it on our own through his Holy Spirit. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God's. And again, when he says blessed are those who are invited, everyone is invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And then at this, John says, um, I fell at his feet to worship him. John wants to worship the angel who said this. And he said, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. Don't get confused by that language. What the angel is saying is, hey, uh, the spirit of God testifies that God is the one who's worthy of being worshipped. And that's really that all that God asks from us. He asks that we worship him, give him the praise and honor that he's due, and that we just love one another. Uh, I'm going to close out with these last few verses that most of us are familiar with because we've heard it time and time again. Jesus describes what God expects this way. There was a certain lawyer who arose to try to test Jesus. The word lawyer, not a legal lawyer, but a lawyer, someone who is supposed to know the Bible. And he tried to test Jesus. He said, teacher, what am I to do to inherit everlasting life. That is to partake of eternal salvation in the Messiah's kingdom. And Jesus said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus is always going to refer back to the word of God. And the person replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. You will enjoy active, blessed, endless life in the kingdom of God. This is what God expects from us. He expects us to love one another and he expects us to love him and give him the worship and praise that he's due. If you do that, you're fulfilling all of the rules. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you go about living your life in a way where you love people, Love your neighbor as yourself. And we've walked through this before where Jesus made it crystal clear the neighbor isn't just the one who thinks like you or looks like you or votes like you, but all of those people, even if they hate you, if you just love your neighbor and love, your, and love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, then you're fulfilling what God asks of us. And if you're willing to do that and you step across the line of faith and put your uh, faith and trust in Jesus Christ then God says, hey, you're invited to what's called the wedding supper of the Lamb. You're invited to this holy feast where we will sit and eat and it will pale in comparison to anything that we've eaten, you know, this past Thanksgiving, ones before it, or any meal to come. And when we partake of communion, uh, it's a reminder of what that's like. It's a reminder that there's going to be, again, food and fellowship in heaven. It's a reminder of all that God has done to allow us to be a part of that grand feast where we'll celebrate and rejoice in heaven with Jesus. So we're going to partake of communion in a minute, but I wanted to show you this um, last couple of verses on screen. Uh, I'm going to ask Kevin and Bill, can you guys come up and... Uh, I hope the door is unlocked. It is unlocked. Uh, the juice in there, and then just move the table over here because we're going to partake of communion in a minute. But I wanted to show you this, this passage of Scripture. We've talked about it before. But it's a picture of what this looks like, this wedding supper, this meal, this feast, and what God has done for us. 
right? So in 2 Samuel, how many people are familiar with King David? King David, yeah, King um, um, David, this is 2 Samuel chapter 9, asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Saul was the person who God chose to be king. Saul didn't want to love God and love others. He wanted to do things his way. He got greedy. He decided, I don't need to follow God's law. So God said, hey, I now choose David as king, a man after my own heart. When he chose David, David was about 14 or 15 years old. Saul found out about it, and he decided, hey, you know what? If I kill David, then instead of the kingdom passing to David, Saul said, it will pass to my son, Jonathan, and it will stay in my family line, right? That didn't work out the way Saul thought. Saul died. Jonathan died. When David became king, despite the fact that his enemy, the whole house of his enemy, Saul, tried to kill him, he said, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Because that's what God did for him. He wanted to show kindness to others that didn't deserve it because that's what God did for him and that's what God did for us. Ziba, who was the servant of the house of Saul, answered the king and said, there's still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he's at the house of Makar, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So in that day, it was typical, if you became king, you could kill all of the other people who would try to get to the throne. Anyone who had a claim to the throne, you could kill them. Some people went as far as to kill their other siblings who had a claim to the throne. David didn't do that. But if he had said, I want to kill anyone from the house of Saul to remove their claim to the throne... Nobody would have thought bad of David. It was common practice. David, however, said, hey, I want to show him kindness. The son or grandson of Saul, his name was Mephibosheth. He didn't stay in the house of Saul. He went and hid in a place called Lodabar because he knew that as soon as David becomes king, David's going to come for my life. So Mephibosheth said, hey, I'm going to not stay in the house of Saul where David can find me. I'm going to run and stay in the house of another friend. So he was at the house of Makar, son of Amiel, and Lodabar. Then it says this, so King David had him, Mephibosheth, brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makar, son of Amiel. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, and at your service, he replied. When he said at your service, he's bowed down basically saying, hey, I commit to serve you as king, right? Because if he doesn't commit to serve him as king, the rightful thing that the king gets to do is to take the life of his enemy. So he says, rather that now I know I'm standing before the king, he has every right, I'm an enemy of his to kill me, so I'm going to bow down and commit to serve him. Here's David's response. David's response is, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. 
I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul. And here's the key. He said, you will always eat at my table. And Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Mephibosheth knew. He said, hey, you have every right as king to kill your enemies. Instead of killing me as an enemy, you invite me to sit at the table as family. And he says, what is it that you should notice a dead dog like me? So Ziba, who was the servant for the house of all, uh, said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do, because he commanded him to restore all the land from the house of Saul to Mephibosheth. And it says, so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And the Bible says that when we were enemies of God, rather than treat us like an enemy and give us the wrath of God that we were due, God treated us like family and he invited us to sit at the table with the king's sons. Rather than say, hey, your sins deserve death, which they do, and no one can blame a righteous God, for enacting justice on those who deserve it. Instead, he said, I'm going to show mercy. And I'm going to invite you to sit at the table. And it says, the way that chapter ends is Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. Instead of going back into hiding, he was invited to be a part of the family and sit at the king's table just like one of the king's sons. And the Bible tells us when we step across the line of faith and we put our faith in Jesus Christ and the finished work of what he did on the cross, instead of getting the wrath of God, which is what we deserve as enemies of God, we're invited to sit at the table and we become heirs with Jesus Christ. We get grafted into his kingdom. We become adopted sons and daughters of God who get to spend eternity sitting at the table with God. And when we partake of communion, it's a reminder of the fact that while we were enemies of God, that he sent his son to die for us. And can you guys bring that table over here real quick? And while they're doing that, uh, it's a reminder that, yes, although the Bible does say um, and normally we put up the whole verses, but I'm just going to put up a few. Uh, it does say that, yes, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, when he took the cup, said, this is the new covenant, my blood. Do this whenever you drink it. It also says, whenever we eat this bread, whenever we partake of communion, whenever we eat it, and whenever we drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whenever we do this, it's a reminder of not only what Christ did for us, but it's also a reminder that he's coming back for us. And when he comes back for us, it's to gather all of us so that we can all sit at the table with the king. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand. And God, we pray that uh, we all take to heart the invitation that you give us to sit at your table. We pray that we all take the heart, the invitation that you give us to be a part of your kingdom. We pray that we all take the heart, the understanding that, all, that although we deserve your wrath 
and your fury because we were enemies of God. That instead, you gave us your grace and your mercy and your love and sent your son to die in our place so that we could become the family of God. And we pray that whenever we partake of the bread and the juice and that we remember that that's what you did for us to show your love for us. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. So I am just going to extend an invitation to as you feel led to come forward and partake of communion. Perhaps if you're not willing to come forward, this is an opportunity for you to maybe spend some time and just spend some time in prayer with God. But as you feel led, come forward and partake of communion. Uh, I was going to have us sing, but I think we're going to end with just a time of prayer. Uh, since we're running a little bit behind. God, we're grateful for your love. We're grateful for your mercy. We're grateful that, as your word says, while we were your enemies, that you sent your son to die for us. We're grateful that you invite us to sit at your table. We're grateful that we get to be a part of the people that you send out to tell others about your amazing love. God, we pray that as we go into this holiday season, that we do so with the joy and the gladness that you have put on our hearts about being a part of your kingdom. We pray that we're able to, uh, as we celebrate, as we sit around tables, as we share stories, that we're able to include the story of the birth of your son, Jesus Christ, of what it did for humanity and how his birth changed our lives. And we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 We hope you enjoyed the message. If you did, please leave a comment on our webpage, crossroadsofjeffersonhills.com, or our Facebook page. You can also join our Sunday celebration every Sunday at 1037 a.m. We look forward to hearing from you online or in person. Thank you and God bless.